that come out of my mouth to those who hear, God, a hundred different people, Lord, would you speak in a hundred different ways? Meet the needs of our heart, oh God. And I thank you for being so faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the kids at this point. They can go on back to the classes. Go ahead and have a seat. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. We have some folks back there that are willing to let you use one this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible and uh, you want one, please take this and keep it because it's our gift to you. Uh, God speaks to us in large ways through this thing called the Word of God. And so if you don't have one, we want to make sure that you have one this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look at page 1. Genesis 1, page 1 in this Bible here. We're nearing the end of a uh, a series on the core values here at LifePoint. We've talked about gospel-centered peace, gospel-centered mission, gospel-centered truth, Matt did a great job last week on gospel-centered worship. And we're going to continue our uh, time this morning on our journey through gospel-centered community. Now, community is not a a new concept. Just because of the invention of a small group somebody had back in the 70s, that's not when community came into being. (laughs) Community existed for a long, long time. As a matter of fact... Uh, let's ver- look at verse 26, Genesis 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Have you ever read that verse before? I grew up in church and never understood that when he's speaking here, he's speaking in plural terms. He says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so what we see here is that God existed in eternity as the Trinity, as three in one. Some of you are familiar with that concept. God the Father... God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they existed before time ever began. So this concept of community goes back a long, long ways. They were in community with one another long before the the circle was ever drawn on the face of the deep. And what they did, they created man. They created him, or not an artist, but that is a guy there. I guess he's got two legs, right? Most of us do. But they created him not because God wanted him to do stuff for him. They created man to relate to him, to connect with him. To be brought into this fellowship of the triune God. That's why man was created. And so God did a lot of creating in those early days, the early six days of the the, uh, book of Genesis here, chapters 1 and 2. God separated the, the, uh, the waters from the land. He looked at it and said it is good. God made the trees and the animals. He looked at it and said it was good. Over and over, God would create something and look at it and say it was good. But there comes a place in chapter 2 where God looks at something 
that he created and said, it is not good. Do you know what that was? He looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Ah. So God created out of his rib, out of his side, something that looked a little like Adam, but not quite. A lot better looking than Adam. A lot more gentler, a lot more kinder. I think Matt put it so aptly last week. Adam looked over his shoulder, saw this thing that God had created, and said, whoa, man. And the name stuck. And she's been called, whoa, man, ever since. And as a guy, we, I grew up, and I remember the first time I saw my wife. It's like, whoa, man. This, this is of God. 25 years later, she's still of God. And she's still my woman. man. God made us for community. God made us for community. And in the beginning, we have Adam and Eve connecting with God in perfect fellowship and perfect harmony. That's the way God designed it. So before we go much further, what I want to do is talk a little bit about a biblical definition of community. And I think I probably will start with what it is not. Community is not a fellowship hall with a potluck table. Where I grew up, that's what they called it. Hey, we're going to have fellowship. And so we'd all go eat. Now, eating is still a major process in so many people's lives. But that was a fellowship. It's not the roller skating party we had with the kids two or three times a year. It wasn't the lock-ins that we had once a year. Community wasn't the softball team that we played on in the city league as a Christian church. Community was not the Bible study we attended or the small group we sat at. So if that's not it, what is it? What is community? Well, the Greek word for community is the word koinonia. K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Koinonia. And what that literally means is fellowship. It also means community. You might take, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, It also means intimacy. And it also means intercourse. That's part of the definition there. And here we're talking literally about a deep partnership as in marriage. It's that type of depth of relationship that this New Testament concept of koinonia, a fellowship of community. That's where it's born. And so when we talk of fellowship, Paul, we're talking nothing like the fellowship that God wants to have with you and I, and that God wants us to have as one another, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I think we've taken the word fellowship, and it's very loosely used. But what it means, there's an intimacy to it. Intimacy of heart, intimacy of soul. And so when I use the word fellowship or the word community this morning, what I'm meaning is koinonia. 
the biblical word here in the depth and sense that it brings. So what I try to do is come up with this practical working definition of what community means, of what koinonia means. And I came up with this. Community is the God in me connecting with the God in you that stirs our hearts with the passion for Jesus. That's literally what it is. It's the Holy Spirit in me connecting with the Holy Spirit in you. And we start talking. We get excited about Jesus and God and what He's doing in our lives. That is that, that the true basis for koinonia, for community, for fellowship, for connection. And so that's the definition we use this morning as we go on. So intimacy with God, as God set it up in the Garden of Eden, things were fine until chapter 3 comes along. Chapter 3 happened. Eve looks at this tree of, good and, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, and she decides she's going to take a bite of something God said don't take a bite of. And so she takes a bite of it. She hands it to Adam and says, hey, why don't you try this fruit? Adam eats it. And all of a sudden they realize they're naked. Oh, my gosh. And so they run off and try to sew themselves some clothes out of fig leaves. And so God comes walking along as he did every evening in the pool of the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? Adam? And Adam says, "Uh, we're over here. God says, why are you hiding? He says, because we're naked and we had to hide ourselves. God says, who told you you were naked? And all of a sudden, their sin is exposed. And what happened was that sin, the consequences of sin did several things. It separated man from that original, beautiful relationship that God created man and woman to be in. Sin separated the relationship between human beings. We can't connect the way God designed us to connect. He said the men will have to work and toil the land by the sweat of their brow just to put food on the table. You see, in the garden, it was paradise. You didn't have to plant. All you had to do was pick and eat. And now he's going to have to work, and he's going to have to work hard all the days of his life to put food on the table. He said women will have pain in childbearing. Is that true? I've heard it is. And the other thing is that every living thing is going to die. The world, the nature itself is broken. Every living thing now has to die. From the trees, from the vegetables, to the animals, to human beings, we all have to die. Because of the separation that sin brought into the world. So, let's fast forward about 4,000 years. And God has this, this secret plan as Paul refers to it, the secret plan that is meant to bring man and God back into relationship again. And you know what that secret plan was? It was more separation. What? More separation? Isn't this bad enough? What happened was Jesus separated himself from the community that he'd had for all of eternity. In order to be born on earth as a baby, 100% God, but 100% man. 
to walk this earth for 33 years, to ultimately die on a cross, to bring us back together again with Him. That must not have been an easy choice for God to do. It couldn't have been. Can you imagine having been like this for all eternity and finally separating yourself? Some of you may remember a verse as Jesus was hanging on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt ripped apart from that community that he had for all eternity. And he did it because he loved us. It would have been far easier just to wad it up, throw it away. But he gave that up. He made that sacrifice. He did what he did because he loves us and wants us back so desperately in this relationship with him. Look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 9. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, I'm sorry. It says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He, God, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. He didn't just take the sin from me. He literally became sin. And we literally became the righteousness of God in Him. What an undeserved gift. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we can be brought back into this community once again. So He broke His own fellowship in order to do it. It was worth that to Him to bring us back. Jesus experienced that separation so he could personally invite us back into this new intimate community with himself. Show that other verse, if you would. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship, into the koinonia of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Once again, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Once again, we have access to the very heart of God here. He has called us into koinonia. He's called us into this intimate fellowship. We've been called into the intimate fellowship of God. And literally what is happening here, right here, into the fellowship that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit share that private place of connection. God has called us into that. Into that private little place where He wants to share His heart with us. You guys realize what a privilege this is? I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. Is that the God of the universe created everything that we breathe in, everything that we see, ultimately everything we touch and feel. This God wants me so bad, He's called me into this private place where I can commune with God. He's called us into a place of fellowship. That's why I talk so much about this 
personal, intimate relationship with God because that is exactly what it is. If we think this is our ticket to go to heaven when we die, we are sadly mistaken. It is so much more than this. God has called us into this relationship. And I'm asking God to open the eyes of my own heart and help me understand this in deeper and deeper ways. That God has called me into this fellowship. What does that look like? How can I commune here with God? I went to church for many, many years. And I really didn't know Christ in my heart. I knew about Him. But that's essentially what religion is. And it led to performing or it led to pretending. But it had nothing to do with relationship on a scale of what we're talking about here. This is why God is so longs to connect with your heart and mine. So, because of this, because of the cross, He's brought us back into connection with Him. And I thank God for that. But now, how do we restore community with one another? Obviously, our relationship with God was broken, but it was broken between us down here as well. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so it's the Holy Spirit in us that allows us to connect with one another. You see, when we become a Christian, God puts a little part of himself in here called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, by the way, is a he. It's a person. It's not a thing. It's not an it. Part of God Himself literally comes into our heart. That's what gives us new life. That's why we have a new heart. That's how we can connect with God and we can connect with others who have the Holy Spirit in them. And He's done this because of the fellowship. This, that's the reason the Holy Spirit was given. It was to allow us to connect with God and allow us to connect with each other. You see, we can sit in a small group or in a Bible study. We can talk about the Bible. But we might never genuinely experience koinonia. Genuine community. Because if God isn't here, I'm just sitting in a small group. Now for those of you who know what I'm talking about, and I see some nods out there, you know what I'm saying. You understand. And for those of you who don't, there's no way that I can adequately communicate what I'm trying to say here until you've experienced this. And that's why God is so longing to call you back into relationship with Him. Now, the first mention of this word koinonia, fellowship, community, intimacy, it was actually used in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Now, why is that significant? Jesus never even used the term. He didn't? No, He didn't use the term. Jesus had come and gone before this term was first used. We find it in Acts chapter 2. And the significant thing is, in Acts chapter 1, is when the Holy Spirit came. That's when the disciples were in the upper room and God poured out His Holy Spirit to every believer there. And so what we learn from this is the fact that, that it takes the Holy Spirit to give us this new life, to give us the ability to connect in koinonia. Now, the disciples, as they walked with Jesus day by day, they had Jesus himself, but they didn't have part of him inside. They had questions. They were broken men all the way through. 
until Jesus came and left. It was when the Holy Spirit came. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that life changed in a radical way. That their personalities changed. That Peter became more gentle. That John became more vocal, more confident. You can see life changed when the Holy Spirit came. It was the Holy Spirit of God who was the absolute foundation of this brand new community called the church. And that's why community is a core value here at LifePoint. Because it too is, is the absolute foundation of true koinonia, of community. So I want to break this verse down for us. Acts 2.42, if you turn there, it's uh, page 592. Actually, I got this verse memorized. So, it says, first of all, it says, they devoted themselves. Okay? They devoted themselves. Who's the they? The they are the, the, the Christ ones. We're turning to the word Christian, Christ ones. They were the Christ ones. The ones, the first new believers that realized what God did and who God was and and received His gift of of eternal life and this fellowship and communion God wants to bring us into. The Christ ones. That was the they. Very early Christians. They devoted themselves. And the word devotion literally means to give oneself over to. To give oneself over to. I have a a good friend of mine who uh, is a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force. And he's there because he has devoted himself to his job. His family suffered, but he's done very well in the United States Air Force. I have another friend of mine who really worked at the same company. He's devoted himself to his family. And he he has a job. He provides well for his family. But his family is exemplary. His kids. It's, It's like the love of God just oozes out. Because he devoted himself to his family. And that's what the new Christ ones did here in, in the very beginning. They devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles, I guess we could call right now the, the, uh, the, the twelve disciples, the men and the women who were with Christ from the very beginning, who heard Christ explain the scriptures and show how he was the true Messiah to come. How he was the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament had to say about God. And so they wanted to know more. So they devoted themselves to the teaching, to the koinonia, which we'll talk about in a second, to the breaking of bread, just like we did this morning. Jesus in the upper room took the wine and took the bread and said, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. There was a huge price that was paid on the cross to give us a second chance at fellowship with God. And they devoted themselves to prayer. And all prayer is, really, it's just talking with God. We don't have to use these or thous. I'm not praying to you. What I'm doing is just telling God what's on my heart. Because that's what God wants to hear. God created me to hear what's on my heart. Does He know it? Yeah, He does. Does He want me to articulate it? Yeah. Because once I articulate it, And then I begin to hear back from God. Then it's this two-way street. It's called communication. It's called relationship. And God created us for a relationship. 
And so here they prayed in small groups and big groups and one-on-one. Prayer was a huge part of their life. And what happened to this early bunch of Christ ones as they devoted themselves? We see here in in, uh, verse 47, Acts chapter 2. It says, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. God was showing up, the God in me and the God in you, and exciting things were happening, and God was showing up, and people were coming to know Christ who never knew Him before. And a large part of what happened there was because of this part of those four things, the koinonia, the fellowship aspect. I want us to look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And the Apostle John is writing here, and this is way into his old age. But John says this, he says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have koinonia with us. And indeed, our koinonia is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. What he does is establish this three-way relationship between you and me, me and you, and God himself. And John was writing about that. that this is community. This is intimacy. This is where God wants us to go. And it's a three-way deal. You see, the closer we move to the heart of God, the closer we are to each other. Do you ever notice that? Think of some of the most mature Christians you know. They're probably older. I have a lady who, uh, (laughs) I think she's 89 this year. She babysat me when I was a kid. Kind of shows you how old I am. Uh, she's really old as far as I'm concerned. But her, she, her countenance is beautiful. She's grace-filled. It's just a joy to hear her talk and watch her interact and relate to people. Because she's grown so close to God. And it just flows out. And so the closer we in our relationship get to God, the closer we get as individuals when we connect in this place of koinonia, of fellowship, the community. So here's my point this morning, is that koinonia really is critical. It is critical to our health and well-being as Christians. It's critical. And that's why it's a core value here at LifePoint. Hebrews 10, verse 24, 25. He says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. And I want you to keep this in mind, that the commands that God gives us really are never for His benefit. Do you realize that? In other words, there's nothing I can do more of that's going to make God any more God. Is there? On the flip side, there's nothing I can do so bad that is going to make God any less God. So if God gives me something to do, something to pay attention to, it's for my own good. And what he's saying here is this this koinonia, this relationship with one another, not just with God himself here, but this relationship is essential for a growing and healthy Christian. Why? Because God created us to need each other. He put it in our DNA. We're hardwired to need each other. 
You see, the fact of the matter is, is that I don't have all the gifts. I wish I did. <laughs> I don't. No one here, look around, no one here has all the gifts. There's no one here that has all the talents. No one here that has all the abilities. You have some. I have some. But I have some need in my life. And God created me to need what you have. And God created you to need what I have. And that's not just luck or happenstance. That is God building into us this need for community. The world tells us that we need to be independent. Independence is good. We need to be a self-made man. Part of it has to deal with responsibility, and I think there's some truth to that. But the reality is, God never made us to be independent. You know where independence got us? Independence got us here. Because we chose for ourselves. Because I saw what I wanted, and I took for myself... And it separated me from God, separated me from other people. God never intended that we were independent. But God never intended that we were dependent either. So the middle ground here is that God has made us interdependent. God has given us certain talents and gifts and abilities and hearts and passions. But God has also given me a lack in some. And so His desire is that we come together. In an interdependent relationship between God and us and between us and each other. He created us to need God. He created us to need each other. Paul talks about that. If we look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And what Paul does is liken this to a human body. And it's interesting because the human body is made up of different parts, isn't it? I mean, standing before you today, I have still have ten toes. I stub them soft, and sometimes I wonder if one's going to fall off. So I've still got ten toes, ten fingers, two arms, two legs, a nose, eyes, ears, all these different parts, but I am one. And Paul takes this analogy and says, this is exactly what the body of Christ is like. Let's pick it up here in verse 12. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. So here he gets down, verse 14. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, well, you know, because I'm not a hand, I don't really belong to the body. That would make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. He created the physical body to be interdependent. The foot can't function without a heart or a pancreas or a colon. They all look different, but God designed it that way because he has the big picture in mind. 
And when we're talking koinonia, when we're talking fellowship here, fellowship here, he has the big picture in mind. The fact is that we need God. We need to connect with him in that very personal, intimate way. And God designed us for connection with each other in a way that's far deeper than most of us think. So I'll tell you what, I want you to stand up this morning. Put your Bibles to the side, stand up. Okay, I want you to turn to two people and say, look them in the eye and say, I need you. I need you. Okay, now this is harder. I want you to look two different people in the eye and tell them, you need me. You need me. All right, go ahead and have a seat. This is the reality of this new thing called church, this organism that Christ put the Holy Spirit in us to connect at a deeper level like this. We have to believe from our hearts that I need you and you need me and we need God. It's in this triune relationship that Christianity functions and flourishes. Koinonia, fellowship, community, this doesn't just happen on its own. It requires cultivation. It requires commitment, intentional effort. We have to work on it. But here's the cool thing. Is that as Christ wants, the Holy Spirit has already given us both the desire and the capacity for this kind of connection. Again, God wired it into us. We were created first and foremost for community. God's original intent in the Garden of Eden to bring man back into this sacred place in relationship to God has never changed. His desire that we connect at this level at this level, has never changed. We screwed it up once with sin. God's given us a second chance through the blood and the cross of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean to me this morning? This concept of true community that is set before us, I believe, is one of the greatest blessings of walking the Christian life here on earth. I really do. As a matter of fact, we will never have another chance once this life is done. We will never have another chance to walk by faith again. Never. This is it. We're going to connect with God in a whole new and different way. We're going to connect with Him eyeball to eyeball. Right now, because of sin, He took away this ability to to shake God's hand and have Him give you a hug and, and, and and to connect the way we connect. One day that's all going to be taken away. But God gave us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a genuine believer. And one of the reasons was that we could share in this thing called community. Some of you have never experienced this, what I'm talking about here. You've never been able to experience this resonating of the God in me and the God in you as it gets stirred up. And that may be Maybe because you really don't know Jesus in that personal, intimate way. And there's no way you can share that unless you get right with God. Unless He puts His Holy Spirit in you. If you don't have Him, what we're talking about here is impossible. 
Now, some of you already know what I'm talking about. And you experience this, this koinonia to a degree. There's certain relationships here in the church that, that, that you have that the God in me is stirring the God in you. And those are very rich relationships. I've been on the, around the block for a number of years. And I have a number of people in all sorts of churches where I can just come back together with. We talk about God. My heart just melts. Because it's like we haven't been away for three years or five years. It's been just yesterday. And Jesus is preeminent. Because everything he's doing in my life and everything he's doing in this guy's life, we just talk, we share it. It's like it's good. It's good. If you've got that, what I want to encourage you this morning is to press into that. Press into Jesus. Press into this relationship in a greater way. Next verse here. First um, Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul's writing, he says this. Now concerning brotherly love... You really have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Isn't that what God does? He teaches us to love one another. I think that verse in 1 John, he says we love because he first loved us. We don't love, I don't love on my own. I'm a very selfish, broken individual. And the only reason I love you is because I have been loved. And I know what love is really like. And so the closer we get to the heart of God, the better lovers of people will be. We love because He first loved us. And Paul's saying, I don't even need to write that to you. God has taught you to love one another. For indeed, that's what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. What he's saying here is to excel still more in your love for one another. You know what Jesus said in the Gospels? He says, let me give you a new commandment. He says, love one another. Don't Bible thump them. Don't judge them. Don't criticize them. Guys, can you just learn to love? They will know we are Christians how? By our love. Love is this radical thing that our head knows and our heart has no clue what that really means. And so by taking this journey to the heart of God, we begin to understand what it means to love one another from the heart. To experience this thing called koinonia, the way God designed us to connect. So we need to be intentional in opening our hearts to God and to each other. Some of you here this morning have been hurt by other people. Most of you have probably been hurt. Some of you very deeply Some of you have been hurt by Christians. Some of you have been hurt by the church. I feel your pain. I understand. I've had bad things said about me. I've had people lie about me. I've had people say I did things that I didn't do. I've been hurt by the church. Matter of fact, I didn't even go to church for a year. Not because I was mad. Because God was telling my heart, draw closer, draw closer. And as I look back at so much of my time was spent in this arena that I wasn't drawing close here. God says, Bill, I want your heart. I want your heart. And so every Sunday, well, Sundays didn't 
changed for most of the week. My wife and I would sit down and we'd read a book and we'd read the Bible and we'd pray together and we'd talk. And, and God just drew our hearts closer together, closer than it's ever been before. Closer to the heart of God and helping me understand this depth of koinonia, what God really wants. As a matter of fact, when I came to Life Point, my heart resonated, the spirit in me with the spirit in Eric. And I sat him down and said, Eric, brother, I love you, man, but I've been hurt. And I just need to come to church for a while and just not do anything. I, I just want to sit and be ministered to. He said, brother, that's okay. That's good. And I did. I just sat there. I soaked it in. The love of the saints, the love of God through the saints. And my heart began to change. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet is without sin. This high priest that he's referring to is Jesus. Is Jesus. He understands our pain. Maybe you can relate to me. Maybe there's other stuff in your life that I can't relate to. But you know what Jesus does? Jesus understands your pain. Jesus was lied about. Jesus was made fun of. Jesus was mocked. Jesus' feelings got hurt by religious people. It was the religious people that nailed him to the cross. The very Son of God standing before their eyes and they nailed him to the cross. So Life Point has become a place of healing for me, for my wife. And God has allowed me to enter some relationships where once again the, the God in you and the God in me begins to resonate. And, and, the, and the God in us is stirring our passions once again for Jesus. That's where God wants us to live. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Our own personal healing is often in the context of others. Sometimes we want to withdraw. We want to put up the walls and just hide. I've been there. But so often healing comes as we place ourselves in the context of community, of koinonia. Where God resonates in your heart, God resonates in my heart. And healing begins. Because Jesus really is all about the healing of the heart. So I want you to look around you, not only here this morning, but in your friendships, in your circles, at work, at school. Who is it do you think God wants you to begin connecting with in a deeper way? Because I think when we just talk about stuff, and there's nothing wrong with talking about movies and all this kind of stuff, but if we never get to this, if you never let the Christ in you be stimulated by the Christ in somebody else, we're missing so much of the blessing of Christian life. We have life groups that meet, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday, one on Thursday, and the, the whole reason we get together for an 8 or 10 or 12 week session. It's not just to be the church together. But it's to be a starting place for some of these deeper relationships to occur. As the Christ in you and the Christ in somebody else starts to connect. Spend time together. Invest yourself. 
See God show up. That's so much of what community is all about. Last verse I want to share is that of 1 John 1, chapter 7, or chapter 1, verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship, we have koinonia with one another. And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. Honesty precedes true fellowship. The Jesus in me can't connect with the Jesus in you if I'm not telling you the truth. If I'm simply pretending. If I'm performing. If it's a face. If I'm wearing a mask. It doesn't work. He says, if we walk in the light. This is light, guys. I, I can't hardly see who's out here. <laughs> this is light. If we walk in the light, you can see who I am. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship. Intimacy. You know what intimacy is? Into me see. You see my heart. You see the spirit that God has given to me. You see Christ in here as he's coming out. We connect in heart with others who are walking in right relationship with God. So fellowship is not an event. It's not something we go to. It's not something we do. It is a state of being. When we're walking in the light, we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with others. And my prayer this morning is that God would help us to get this, not just here, but where it matters, right here. That's why I prayed this morning before I ever got to church that God would open the eyes and ears of our heart, help us to see the reality of maybe what I've heard for years. God, help my heart see it. And once I see it, Lord, can I press into that? Can I press into Jesus? Can I, can I press into this intimate relationship and in what He's called me to be? Can I open myself up to my brothers and sisters here at a level where the Spirit of God in me and the Spirit of God in you begins to resonate and we share this passion for Jesus? That was my prayer this morning. That's my prayer for LifePoint Church. As we go on, that this church will be a place where Quinonia exists. It's a state of being. It's just not where we go to. We don't just come to church or life group. It's, it's where we are. It's part of who we are. The Christ in you and the Christ in me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for our time this morning. Lord, I thank you, God, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, there's so much we don't know about how you work in our lives, about how you work in others' lives, and why you tend to show up here and you don't show up there, Lord. But all I know, all I know, God, is you, you call me into this deeper, intimate fellowship with, with the Godhead, with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, my heart has begun to long for that. Lord, I, I long to know you, God, in an intimate and deeper way. This, this concept of intercourse is such a strange word in today's day and age. But Lord, I, I want to know you at that level. I don't. So Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for our church as we press into you. God, that you'd help us to 
um, understand with the eyes of our heart the power of the Holy Spirit in us, the power of the Spirit through my brothers and sisters here. How, Lord, so often when I need a hug or a word of encouragement or a word of reproof, it doesn't always come from the Bible, Lord. My brothers and sisters are quick to share. And, Lord, you show up in their lives. And and more than ever, I know that I need them just as much as they need me. Lord, I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you, Lord, for this time we've had this morning. Lord, I just tell you we love you. Thank you for giving your life for us. In Jesus' name.